Hello, and welcome to the All Things Narrative podcast, where we explore the relationships between the stories we love and the stories we live. I'm your host, Derek Hatch, and let's get started. All right, welcome back, everyone, to the All Things Narrative podcast. This is Narrative 101, aka the second Tuesday of the month. And I am so glad you are here. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you are all having a wonderful week. And if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, you know, you are in ah, some of the worst of summer right now. At least I know that's how it is in Florida. And um, if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, uh, maybe worst of winter. I don't know. I'm hoping to get down to Australia one day uh, to find out for myself what that is like being on the opposite side of the world and the seasons being different. And speaking of seasons, um, we're shifting a little bit uh, with Narrative 101 here. So the first five episodes that we've done from March through July, they kind of all built on top of each other and they reflected uh, our core values and guiding principles uh, that we have at All Things Narrative. And so if you haven't heard those, uh, those kind of really essential building block episodes, I highly recommend checking them out. Because what we're doing for today, for the remaining four Narrative 101s uh, that are to come for the year, we're going to kind of fill in some details and go deeper into certain concepts that we didn't uh, have too much time for uh, in the previous episodes. And so one of those uh, includes something that I alluded to in the last episode about storytelling. And so we talked about this idea in narrative practices of definitional ceremonies. Uh, you might recall that Barbara Meyerhoff was working with uh, the group of Jewish elderly uh, Holocaust survivors and created these ceremonies um, to be able to provide them uh, with these platforms uh, to share their stories uh, so that those stories don't get lost and buried in time. So they're beautiful. Again, they are uh, some of my favorite moments uh, in the work that I get to do. Uh, in fact, at the time that we're recording this, uh, we just had one uh, at the end of my uh, Live a Meaningful Story workshop, and it was wonderful. I love hearing people's stories come together. And if that's something you're interested in, then you are in the right place. So one component of definitional ceremonies is something called witnessing, or you might have heard that termed outsider witnessing, or maybe you've never heard it at all. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today in this episode about how to be a better listener. And it's confession time for me, because if you know me on any level, then you know that I am a much more of a talker than a listener. I love to talk. I could talk your ear off all day. That's why I do podcasts. Um, yeah, I love to talk. So I'm not afraid to admit that um, because that is actually a part of uh, what I can do to give back to the world. Uh, I love, you know, in teaching, you get to talk and you get to talk when you do a podcast and when you get to do public speaking, all that stuff. But what I have learned, especially as a narrative practitioner, is that listening, becoming a good listener is much more important most of the time than the words that you actually say. For me, listening does not come as naturally. It's a lot harder for me to uh, to take things in. You know, I tend to even think by talking out loud. So listening is something that I've had to come to learn to do, to be quick to listen and slow to speak. That's a skill that I've really had to put a lot of time and effort into. And 
One of the stories that I share with people that I am not proud of, but man, did it help me grow, was uh, in my senior year of high school and I was leading this club that I had started called Broken Barriers. And I was, you know, creating this safe space where people could come and be vulnerable and transparent about their lives and share their struggles and their hurts and their doubts and confusions and all kinds of things that were happening to them uh, as, you know, high school students. We were all in this together, right? But there was this one day I remember where different people were sharing different problems they were going through. Not unlike what you might hear with narrative practices uh, in a narrative therapy session. But instead of listening, I was cutting them off really quickly and I was trying to I was trying to cut them off and say like, oh, I know the solution or have you thought about this? Or, you know, I was trying, you know, in, in good conscience, I was trying to give them advice and direction, you know? But the problem is I wasn't really listening. I was telling them what I thought was good and I was like forming answers in my head as they were talking. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but I was essentially um, just there to speak my mind. And there was this one girl who was getting really frustrated at the time. And she's getting so frustrated that she just walked up and left. And she was mad. And you know, you ever been in that situation where somebody gets up and they leave and they're mad and you know that you said something or did something wrong, but you didn't quite know what that was? Well, as soon as the the the, the club ended that for that day, I like ran to go find her. And I did find her at the bottom of the stairs. And I was like, what's wrong? Are you okay? It was something I said. And you know, it wasn't something I said. It was actually um, everything. It was me saying things to begin with. Because she said, you just don't know how to listen. I remember it still like gives me chills. Like I can hear that voice. That changed me. That moment changed my life because I realized, I always knew that I wasn't the best listener, but in that moment, I realized how crucial it was and how I was creating this safe space, but it was not a safe space because it was becoming about me. It wasn't about the people, about them. That's what I love about narrative practices. And we'll talk about being decentered yet influential, maybe on the next episode. But all that to say, I knew that I needed to learn how to become a better listener. And if you want to become a better listener, then study narrative practices, you know, because it forces you to really slow down. And one of the things that my tutor had told me that was so good was that don't form a question until the very last thing that you've heard the person say, which is hard, right? Because when we talk, we start to already in our mind think, but he taught me to really be fully present to a person and to their words and their conversation, hanging on them, being curious. And I found that as I did that, you know, sometimes the question that I was ended up asking was not what I might've originally had thought, but by listening and really letting the person talk and not cutting them off and whatnot, as I was asking questions and people would say, man, that is a good question. You know, you start to realize like, okay, wow. Like being a great listener is awesome. So how do we do that? How do we actually become a better listener?
Narrative Principles, Jonathan Stillman, wherever you are, um, I need to reach out to you. I need to get you on the show. Um, so your principle 3A. So the third principle um, in this book is subordinate story development repositioning. So it's no secret that in narrative practices, we want to help people uh, live into the preferred stories uh, that bring them meaning in life. And so part of that is with something called repositioning, which is where when we are listening to somebody, we are positioning ourselves into a place of curiosity. And so like what he talks about in the book, for example, is in terms of dealing with problems, right? How do we reposition people so that they can better deal with their problems? But that's not um, entirely the way I'm gonna talk about it here. I'm gonna talk about it more that when we are listening to somebody, um, as witnesses, which I'll talk about in a second, when we listen to somebody, how do we position ourselves so that we can best listen to someone and then um, to best ask them questions that help them to think through uh, the intentions of how they can deal with their problems. So with that comes witnessing and outsider witnessing. So Outsider witnessing is essentially it. It was something that Michael White talked about, where you know maybe he's doing a therapy session with somebody, and he brings in people who are not necessarily involved in the person's life. They come from outside. They might be other therapists. They might be people who have uh, dealt with similar problems uh, as the person. But they come in and they listen. And Michael White and you know, others in this position, they would interview somebody and then they would have these four categories um, of questions that they would ask the outsider witness. But you don't just have to do this with outsiders because Jill Friedman, um, who we've had on the show before, she wrote a wonderful article uh, for, for, I think it's for Dulwich, about witnessing. The article, if you're interested in tracking it down, is called Witnessing and Positioning, Structuring Narrative Therapy with Families and Couples. So she took this idea of witnessing, which sometimes could be used for outsiders, to actually use it for people who are already involved in the person's life, to use this as a way to cultivate better listening within families and married couples. And I can't tell you enough that this is a game changer for me. Um, not just in helping me to be a better listener, but in helping others that I work with to be better listeners as well. So when Jill was on the show, um, on that first episode, we actually did a whole segment on witnessing that we cut from the show for the sake of time because it was a very long interview. There's a lot of good stuff there, but it didn't quite fit in with the rest of the conversation. But I want to play for you right now uh, a deleted scene, if you will, an excerpt that didn't make the cut. Uh, because I wanted to save it for this episode because the way that Jill describes witnessing is so powerful and it was so fundamentally impactful in my practice um, when we practiced doing it in the master's program with each other. And then when I began to do it with families like a mother and a daughter or beginning to do it with friends, this was huge. So I want to play that clip right now uh, from that episode. So 
Let's go over to Jill and she explains what witnessing is and then we'll come back and talk a little bit about practically what this could look like in helping you to be a better listener. In the in my training in family therapy, there was a lot there was a bunch of ideas about getting people to talk to each other. Yeah. And there were ideas about um like helping them talk to each other in a way that was going to be useful. And um you know, I think in narrative therapists don't assume that people don't know how to talk to each other. Right. But they more assume that people are so embedded in their own stories that are creating the lens that they're listening through mm -hmm. that they often don't hear or understand each other. So I think witnessing, witnessing has to do with um, helping people be in a position where they're not joining in. Because that because when people are about to join in, they're listening for what they disagree with, what the other person said was wrong, you know, what should have been included that wasn't. But if they're not doing that, they're like really free yeah. to understand. And so trying to create a position where people can do that so that they understand and then asking a question to invite them to join in the story of the person they've been witnessing, um, I, I found really great. And um, I watched Michael do that, with, but he never talked about it before mm -hmm. I started thinking about it. Um, yeah. But I think it was in his work. Mm. Good stuff, right? So if you're hearing this and you're thinking, this is for me, I want to get in on this witnessing thing. How do I do it? Well, there's essentially four categories that you use with witnessing. So let's say I have a conversation with somebody or um, let's say that I am talking. And basically, you know, we have the tendency, especially when we talk with people that we know, familiar with, our guard is down a little bit. We tend to, you know, want to interrupt, tend to think about what we're going to say before we actually have the chance to say it. And as a result, we're not truly listening to the full extent of what the person is sharing. So what we would do instead is I would interview the person and with no interruptions at all. So you wouldn't say anything, you wouldn't ask any questions. I would just simply have a conversation with them. And you're like a fly on the wall at this point, just listening. Um, but you're intentionally listening and you're trying to take the whole narrative in that they're communicating and maybe listening for things that maybe you wouldn't have thought to ask or maybe new insights about the person, but trying to, to better understand uh, their story, um, not just the dominant story, but also the, um, the preferred story they want to live. So this is something called double listening. We talked last time about the double story testimony, right? So double listening. So we're listening, you know, for what they're saying on the surface. And then we're also listening to maybe what they're not saying. And that's what we'll talk about later with the absent but implicit. So then after the conversation, I would actually turn to you as the witness. And I would ask you four categories of questions. So the first one is called the expression. So this is just asking you what stood out to you about what the person shared. So that's it. So I'm not asking for your commentary, what you connected with, um, how you felt about it. I'm just asking simply, you know, 
what did the person say? So kind of like a journalist, right? You're, you're accurate. You want to capture the words of the person you're interviewing accurately. And so that's the first step of witnessing is, are you actually listening to the words or is it your interpretation of words that you're taking away from it? And we got to be very careful of that. So that's the first part is the expression. Are we listening to what the person is saying? Are we able to say the words back? Are we able to say, you know, okay, I heard you say this. So that's the first step is when you're listening to somebody, can you actually say their words back? And what I love about witnessing is you're doing it in front of the person uh, who is speaking. So if there was something that you got wrong, you know, we can, it's a safe space where we could talk about that, where we could say, okay, those weren't exactly the words that they said. So uh, it's a lot of this is about creating safe spaces uh, to be heard. So that's the first thing. Then the second thing is what's called the image. So when you were listening to this person, what images or words maybe came to mind about them and what's important to them? So this is important as well because we're, we're at, again, step two, we're not fighting, we're not arguing or debating, we're not sharing our feelings, we're not, um, we're not doing any of that. We are just simply slowing down to see if we really heard the person. So if we heard somebody and we share this image of, like maybe I heard somebody that was maybe saying some things about sacrifices they were making in their life, tough sacrifices. And I was like, maybe I had an image of this person like running into a, a building that's burning and on fire and they're going in and they're trying to help as many people as they can. It's uncomfortable. They're breathing in all the smoke, um, but they're going for it because they know it's the right thing to do. And that shows me that this person is bold. They're, um, they value courage and being courageous in their life, and that's important to them. So again, I'm really trying to listen, and I'm trying to see, okay, what am I learning about the person right in front of me? What are, is this person's narrative revealing about what's important to them? Like, right as we've shared about on here, like Donald Miller, when people tell stories, when they live stories, they're telling people what's important to them. So we, that, this is a great way of taking note of that through witnessing. So the third step is what's called the resonance. So now we start getting into, okay, what have I personally connected with? So I think a lot of the time when we have conversations, we fail to see our shared humanity. Even if we're on the complete opposite side of the political spectrum, even if we disagree about so many things, are we able to listen to somebody and say, I've been there too. Maybe not in the same circumstance, maybe on the different side from a different perspective, but I felt this way too. I too have felt frustrated when people um, didn't see me for who I was. I too felt like I couldn't speak up in this situation because I was afraid. You know, like, what are those moments where we resonate with the person's narrative? 
and we're taking the time to express that. So again, step three, we're not fighting, we're not debating or arguing. We're saying, we're finding our common humanity and we're saying, you know what? I really connected with that. And, and you'd be surprised when you do this, especially if you do this maybe with like parents and children, how many times children learn things about parents and they're like, well, I didn't know you, you struggled with, um, I don't know, I didn't know you struggled too with peer pressure. I didn't know you struggled with drugs and alcohol when you were a teenager. You'd be surprised at the level of connection that you could form by this category of resonance. We're finding our shared humanity, what grounds us together. And we're, we're starting with that and saying, where do our narratives intersect? And that's a beautiful thing. So that's the third one, the resonance. And then finally, the, tr the argument. No, just kidding. Finally, the quarrel, the debate, the smashing, the whatever. No, no, that's not it at all. The final category is called the transport. And this is simply what will you take with you? What will you take with you from this conversation? It could be something small like, you know, now that I know how that makes you feel, I'm going to be more careful with the tone of my voice and how I talk to you. Or maybe it's something bigger, like, wow, I really need to go and, and you know, I, I heard the, uh, the way that you were able to make amends with your father. And, you know, my father has been wanting to make amends with me for a long time, and I've been putting it off. And maybe, maybe it is possible to make that connection. So maybe that's my action step I need to take. Um, so it could be a piece of wisdom that you learned from the conversation, something that you didn't know before. I don't know. But the transport is essentially what do you take with you? In other words, how has listening to this person's narrative changed you? And I don't think we do enough of this, to be honest. I'm guilty of this with podcasts, and I know this is a shameless example to say on a podcast, but I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I get a lot of really incredible insights, some that have profoundly changed my life. But do I ever take the time to share that with the person? No. But I wonder what it would be like if I did. Now, yes, I know that there's people that like, if I sent them, if I tried to email them or contact them, I'd probably never get through because they're so high up there. But it's amazing how we could think that with people too. Like we could think like, we could assume like, ah, I don't need to tell my parents that I love them because they know that. No, I mean, sometimes as parents, we, we need that. We wonder like, are we, is any good coming of what I'm putting in? And sometimes a, a child just simply saying thank you or saying I love you or, I, you see me, or I know that you, you've always cared about me, whatever it is, that can make a huge difference in a relationship where maybe you feel like it's one-sided or you feel like that lack of connection is there. We don't take the time to really say, how is your story impacting mine? How are you making a difference in my life? So just to review, when we're listening, the first thing is to be able to have conversations where we're not thinking of what we're gonna say ahead of time, or even as we're listening, we're not interrupting, we're letting an entire conversation go. We're letting the person speak. Um, that's why in my workshops, I let the person tell their story. 
no interruptions, no questions, no comments, no feedback, no nothing. Just sharing their story as is, as they communicate it. And then going through these witnessing categories of the expression, the image, the resonance, and the transport to really um, make sure that we are listening intently and carefully, that we're not making judgments or assumptions, but that we've really taken in what the person's saying. And I know I've been in situations where my life where I wish somebody had done this with me, and maybe you're hearing this and you're like, well, I feel this way too. So I encourage you, um, if this is something that interests you at all, um, I do incorporate this into my Live a Meaningful Story workshop. Um, this is actually our last session where it all builds to, uh, with the, coupled with the definitional ceremony that I shared last time. But I could also do this in different ways as well. So like if you're listening to this and you have a team uh, in your company, in your organization, in your business, workplace, whatever, and you need to foster a listening, a better listening skills in the community, uh, this is a great way to do it. Same with students and young people. If you wanna help them develop those social emotional skills, learning skills and better listen, um, this is great. And I'm more than happy to mo come model this and to, to show how to do this. And I'm not the only one who does this. You know, as narrative practitioners, this is something that many, many do. And for me, this is very important. It's become very influential in my work and practice. And so I hope this was helpful about witnessing uh, and how to become a better listener. So what are you waiting for? Get out there and stop listening to me and go have a conversation with somebody. Maybe, you know, maybe it's the two of you and you need a third person there. So find a third person that you and that person trust and maybe do some of that, uh, this, these tools of witnessing. I can't thank you enough for, for listening to me <laughs> because right now you're using listening skills for this podcast. And so I thank you so much for being here and we will be back next week for one of my most anticipated episodes that I've had yet on the podcast why we love Spider-Man, AKA my favorite fictional character. So I hope you'll join us here uh, for that. And for uh, all of you out there who love stories and love exploring the relationships between the stories we love and the stories we live, learning how to better listen to stories, apply this even to, you know, we, we do a good job at listening to the stories of, you know, books and film and, and whatnot, you know? And even if we watch the news, you know, we listen to stories there and, you know, what what is it like to listen to the person right in front of you? That's my challenge for you today. So this is your friendly narrative practitioner, Derek signing off and saying, go be a good listener. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, but be quick to return to this podcast next week for another exciting episode. And until then, take care. <laughs>